0: We will begin at verse 11 in a few minutes. Colossians 1, verse 11. It seems that there are so many people today, grown people, who are lacking a sense of awe. When was the last time you were in awe of something? When you literally stopped in astonishment Because you were taken by beauty, or truth, or purity, or goodness. We become so used to nothing very grand anymore. In fact, some of us have attuned our thinking to such negativity that always the bad things will happen rather than focusing on what is truly magnificent around us. Part of this, I think, is the busyness of living while trying to accomplish multiple tasks at the same time. We don't take time for wonder. Sometimes I think also the pain of our world jades us, jades our thinking and causes us to lose hope. We don't really feel like being in awe of anything. A key piece might simply be getting older. Young people as we saw today on the video are wired (laughs) for gasping with delight at the sights and the sounds that they encounter. Maybe some of us are just like, yeah, I've been there, done that. I've seen it all. It's hard to overcome that when we're bored. Sometimes I think that we're bullied out of being in awe, as friends and family members make fun of us when we express unbridled wonder at something. Sometimes between sitcoms and unsafe people, I think we become afraid to feel awe, let alone try and find it. Research has a few things to say about the idea of awe. In fact, there's a lot of work being done right now in this relatively new area of social science. It's now recognized as a very important emotion. Dr. Docker Kultner, who has done extensive work on this, defines awe this way. Awe is the feeling of being in the presence of something vast, or beyond human scale, that transcends our current understanding of things. Another psychologist, Dr. Shiota, says this, All used to be thought of as the Gucci of the emotion world. Cool if you have it, but a luxury item. Now, scientists are finding that experiencing awe is an important part of who we are. We're wired for it, so finding moments to be steeped In reverence is good for our health, they say, for our relationships, for our outlooks. It makes us nicer and more outward focused. Now, as Christians, we know that this is true. We worship a transcendent God. We've been focusing on that all morning long. We sang, awake my soul and celebrate. We have opportunities every day to stop and be amazed at who he is. But do we? Do we take daily moments just to gaze on his holiness and behold his magnificence? This is the last Sunday of what the church calls ordinary time. Next week, the church calendar will restart as we celebrate Advent, the coming of the Lord to earth. Today, we are marking Christ the King Sunday. Which was begun in 1925 to celebrate the authority of Jesus, the Christ, as King and Lord of all. It was begun because church leaders saw that as people were not exalting Christ as much, there was less awe and wonder. And that translated to a rise in secular thought and a dependence on human authority. They wanted to help the church to have a more complete and growing understanding of Christ in his fullness. So today I want us to spend time being in awe of Jesus from the words of Paul. Because the majesty of Christ should be something that astounds us. We're going to savor these verses, thinking about them thoroughly with help from the Holy Spirit. As he prays for the church to be strengthened by God's power... As people belonging to God, Paul bursts forth with poetic words about the glory of Christ. These words are big. We think of Jesus as our Savior and focus so much on his earthly teaching and his work on the cross. Very important. But Christ is risen. He sits at the right hand of the Father. He reigns in glory. He is not in human form as a carpenter's son any longer. He blazes in light. And rules everything you and I see. There is no comparison to Christ anywhere. So, my prayers that these words today would revive our souls, would give us perspective, convict us, replenish us, because Christ is supreme over all. Colossae was at one time an important city, along with its neighbors Laodicea and Hierapolis. It is now modern day Turkey. By the time of Paul, it had gone from a prosperous center to a pretty insignificant town. Today, there are barely any traces of it. This church was not founded by Paul, nor had he ever visited there. It was probably planted by his colleague, Epaphras, who has been reporting what has been happening to Paul from jail to jail. We don't know where Paul is in jail. In Colossae, there was a large Jewish population, and there were also thriving Greek religions and various Roman cults. So this church has come of age amidst many kinds of religions. Worshiping Jesus is just one. Why Paul is writing the letter, we don't know. There have been a lot of speculations as to the problems that he's addressing. It's been perplexing to scholars to try and figure out what's been happening. They call it the Colossian heresy. So there's disagreement about the nature of the heresy, or even if there is one. So we're just going to simply focus... On Paul's writings. This is a strong doctrinal statement about the person of Jesus Christ. So we're going to take it in three acts, kind of like a play. The first act will be found in the opening of the letter. The second will be about Christ's supremacy over creation. And the third will be his sovereignty over the church. And to make it more like a play, we're actually going to read the acts separately. So they naturally break up into three different pieces. So let's start with Act 1, the prayer. Colossians 1, 11 through 14. May you be made strong with all the strength that comes from his glorious power. And may you be prepared to endure everything with patience. While joyfully giving thanks to the Father, who has enabled you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the light. He has rescued us from the power of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. The lectionary has us begin in the middle of Paul's prayer for the Colossians. As we know, Paul often begins his letters... With an introduction, which usually includes a prayer for those that he's writing to. Based on his relationship with them. And he tells them how it is that he has been lifting them up to the Lord. Isn't it good to be known by someone? Who prays for you? Isn't it good to share life in such a way that you are in someone else's prayers? And they tell you about it? They trust that it will encourage your heart? When they tell you how they have been praying for you. When I read Paul's letters, I am always touched by the specific ways he prays to the people for whom he is writing. Even if he doesn't know them, like here, he loves them. And he wants them to know that. The other thing it does is it elevates Christ in their midst. It reminds them who they are. And why it's important that they are doing the work they're doing. The Holy Spirit connects us in deep ways. And Paul prays with confidence for them. In verse 10, right before this, Paul asks that the church would live lives worthy of the Lord. That they would please him. That they would bear every good fruit in the knowledge of God. Paul's language here has a foreshadowing of the kingdom of what it is that he's going to get to next he prays that the church will be made strong with the strength that comes from his glorious power he prays that they will be able to share in the inheritance of the saints of light he's reminding us that believers have been rescued from the power of darkness and transferred into the kingdom of light i was thinking how interesting of a picture that is A few weeks ago, we were discussing when the people of Judah were overpowered by Babylon. And when that happened, much like conquered people, they were removed from their homes and they were taken to a foreign place. Now, they were actually given freedom. They were actually blessed. They were able to retain who they were and able to go home. But we know often that has not been the case. Throughout history when people are taken from their homes. But this picture that Paul is giving us is a people who are willingly. Willingly taken from the kingdom that they're residing in. From the place where they're living. To go to another one. Not in exile, but rescued in a dramatic kind of way. By a hero who sacrificed to make it happen. I was kind of thinking it's like Jesus as a Navy SEAL. Paul is saying, we've been rescued from the darkness to the kingdom of God's beloved son. And in God's kingdom, he says, there's light, there's forgiveness, there's glorious presence, there's joy. There's the ability to endure everything with patience. We just stop and sit there for a second. In God's kingdom, he gives us what we need to endure with patience. Most importantly now there's an inheritance that belongs to those who trust Christ. We can't take anything with us from this earth, but we have an inheritance that will never spoil or fade. Just as God rescued the children of Israel from the bondage of Egypt, so all who ask to be part of the kingdom of God will be saved. In his love he redeems us. The second act is Colossians 1:15 through 17. He, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For in him all things in heaven and on earth were created, things visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or powers. All things have been created through him and for him. He himself is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Paul now goes into some of the most beautiful words about Jesus. Some think that it's an early creedal hymn. Others believe that Paul wrote this poetry and rooted it in the wisdom literature and the imagery of the Old Testament. Either way, they are awe-inspiring. This is about the supremacy of Christ in creation. So let's work through it a little bit. Christ is the image of the invisible God. God. This means that he is the very substance and essence of God. Jesus said to Philip, Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. Part of his mission was to reveal to humanity what God is truly like. John Calvin said, In Christ, God shows us his righteousness, goodness, wisdom, power, in short, his entire self. There's no separation between Father and Son, they are one. Jesus also shows us the love of God just by being here and what he was accomplishing on our behalf. He is the firstborn of all creation. He is not created, but he is before all things. And he is in charge of everything that has been made. Jesus said before Abraham was, I am. In many families, the firstborn has the privilege and the priority Jesus has the highest honor of any created thing and comes before anything which has been made. In him, all things were created, everything in heaven, everything on earth, things we see, things that are hidden from us. Thrones, dominions, rulers, powers, everything has been made by Jesus and for him the entire sphere of the worlds. He is the architect and the one who pays the mortgage. There are no other gods before him. There is nothing else that even comes close because this is his world. He made it. It belongs to him. He does not need anyone else's help. He is before all things and in him all things hold together. Jesus did not start the world and take a nap. He is sustaining all of life right now. He is over all of the order. He is the center of all that we know, and in him contains the whole universe. Everyone and everything is dependent on him. Those who do not know him, those who would not consider surrendering, need his help just to live, just to breathe. Everything works together because Jesus is keeping it going. Now let's pause for a second. Let's take a breath. And let's say a prayer. Thank you, Jesus, for being above all. Thank you for the beautiful world. Thank you for gravity for the delicate balance of our bodies, for the solar system, the seasons, daisies, twinkling stars, and the crashing waves. Remembering your role in all of this brings us not only awe, but worship. So we give you praise, honor, and proclaim you have dominion over all. Risen Christ, may you be exalted in our lives to your rightful place in creation. Amen. The last act is found in verses 18 through 20. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he might come to have first place in everything. For in him, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through him, God was pleased to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, by making peace through the blood of the cross. Paul moves from talking about Christ as Lord of creation to Christ taking a lead in bringing back people to the Father. This is language we're a bit more comfortable with, maybe, but still, we let's break it down. Because we don't want the familiar to make us disregard it. Christ is the head of the body, the church. He is the source of life for all who believe, who are then adopted into his family. He is the one who oversees this work, guides people to how they fit. He has plans for us, for you, that go beyond our comfort and our understanding. We exist to help him fulfill his mission of saving souls and redeeming the world. Without his presence, the church does not function. Without his headship, it dies. He is the beginning and firstborn among the dead. He goes before us in death. He rises and we live in that same power that helped him rise. He accomplished in his body what no one else even contemplated or would. In John, Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. Those who believe in me, though they die, yet will they live. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Because he rose, we too will rise after death. Death is not the final reality. Life is. All the fullness of God dwells in him. In the Old Testament, we see God's presence dwelling in various places, sometimes in certain people, depending on the circumstances and what was happening Jesus has the completeness of God in him. Everything God is and does, we see in Christ. Because of Jesus, God is with us. We've talked about this, but see what else it says? It says, God was pleased. God was pleased to dwell in Jesus. One of the things that was true in Jesus' earthly life was how he consistently glorified the Father with intention and authenticity that pleases God. Jesus is the one that reconciles all things back to the Father. At the fall, there is a deep divide between God and creation. Here we see God was pleased to have Christ bring peace between creation and the Father with his blood. There's not another way for peace with God and a sinful humanity. If there were, Jesus would have done that instead. Jesus is the king who sacrifices his life. So again, let's pause and think about these words and offer a short prayer. Jesus, we believe that you are head of your body, the church. We are honored to belong to you and trust the purposes you have for us in bringing redemption to the world. Thank you for your death on the cross, which brought peace and true hope. We see your obedience and dependence on the Father, which causes us to be in awe as we follow you. We are grateful for new life and life everlasting. Amen. Whatever the church was struggling with, with regards to the Messiah, I trust that Paul's words had deep effect. This description of Christ is one that all of us have to grapple with. It's very clear there is no life, There's no truth or salvation apart from the person of Jesus Christ. Paul's confession of faith has helped steer the church for generations. It helps us today. I don't want to lose a sense of awe in my life about anything. But most importantly, about who Jesus is. These are words that we should come back to again and again bowing down in his presence and offering our whole selves in response to the truth found here. Remember that this day on the church calendar was begun because people were putting leaders and other people and other things ahead of God. People today are so distrustful of authority, that might not be our issue. Our issue might be becoming complacent in our reverence, putting ourselves in the place of God We need to focus on Jesus to retain a healthy sense of awe. So let's not allow anything in this world to blind us from seeing Jesus as he is, which is the risen king over all. Let's not allow those who oppose Christ in our life to influence our thinking. Let us not be swayed by those who make him less than Lord in any way. It must become a discipline of our lives to take moments of awe of all that he is and all that he has created for us. That is part of belonging to his kingdom. We have a Messiah, a king, who is over all, over all of creation, over the entire universe, over all of humanity and everything that happens in this world. What a great and glorious truth. Let us pray.